we knew that this is going to be software, this technology is going to drive this. And the only people we didn't bring in was people who knew something about technology. Because we didn't want to, I'm going to say, they're going to hate me for saying this, but we didn't want to poison it with, with technology thinking, right? From Inform, this is Buzz IT Talk, a show about tech buzzwords, trends, and the stories behind the hype, helping you go beyond the buzz. Coming from the creative industries, I thought I knew what experience design was at the outset of this podcast. In fact, I thought it would be the easiest podcast we'd put together this year. Boy, was I wrong on both accounts. In our background research and in the interviews, I came to realize that experience design is so much more than the user's experience of a piece of software. If it was this, it would simply be called user experience design, or UX for short, which for those of you familiar with design is a distinctly separate branch of design. No, experience design, or XD for short, includes so much more than how users engage with the software or app's interface. It's something that's rooted in the mindsets of those creating the experience. And yes, in a technology case that is often manifested in a software or an app, but it's not always. And I think there's more on that later in the episode. And what's more, experience design, it, it grows as the conceptual idea of what is being designed and developed grows and changes. Now, I've had the distinct pleasure of sitting down with the CEO of Twill as one of Inform's very own XD design developers to explore the topic more broadly. I'll cut between the two interviews as the perspectives shared were often complementary. Sometimes they challenged each other. And I think that that shows just how core experience design has to be amongst those who are trying to build it into their product or service for it to come through in a technology product. Bulls, do you mind introducing yourself? Of course. Um, so, yes, Troel Støring in Danish. Um, so, it gives itself that I'm Danish. Um, I'm based in the Netherlands and have been here for the last five years. Uh, I come from a very data background. So, I'm educated within macroeconomics and econometrics, which is the, the beautiful merge of economics and statistics. Um, but never really used it so much in the field of work. I got to work as a consultant in Denmark, and after a couple of years, joined joined Mersk mm-hmm. uh, in a strategy function, which was a, a super cool function. This is within in Mersk tankers, which is basically taxis of the ocean transporting refined and crude oil around the world. Okay. Um, very interesting data perspective, actually. And then a couple of the years there, um, joined uh, Damco here in the Netherlands running as a project manager for different global projects. Basically, what I was used at, what I was good at, still still is, I am, is what I believe at least, uh, is starting stuff up and getting a, getting a team, a strong team around it and, and getting that team to move. So I did that a couple of times in Damco, actually three times, I believe. Mm-hmm. But but mostly, you know, six to nine months starting it up, uh, getting up and running and then moving on to the next one. Um, yeah. For our listeners, because they're not necessarily all from the maritime space, can you just go into a little bit about what Demco is? Yes, of course. So um, to do that, I go a little bit uh, further up and looking at them all on Maersk structure. So Maersk is uh, basically making a logistics company, mm-hmm. uh, making sure that uh, you can ship from A to B. They own a lot of assets, be it terminals, be it ships, be it containers. Um, Damco is a company within Maersk and they do logistics services so basically those are the ones you reach out to um, when you want uh, something transported from A to B and they'll make sure that they basically connect all the dots for you and make sure that uh, 
you get a good service in terms of doing that. So they'll go out and, and, and procure all the services you need in, in, in terms of moving your cargo from A to B. Thanks. Is it a fair assumption to say Twill was one of these three projects that you've spun up inside of Demco, or was it was this after? This was after, because okay. this was the fourth, I would say. Okay. Um, and a little bit more meat on the bone for this one here. And also, um, so personally, I would love to do something that, that lasted a little bit longer, had more impact, I would say. Um, and also try myself as a, as, as, a, as a leader of something that keeps growing instead of just spinning stuff up and, and then moving on. So then I was presented with the opportunity to basically, I was told, do you want to start a company within Damco, within Maersk and that family? Uh, we're going to try to do something around digitalizing the customer journey for, mm-hmm. for logistics. And I mm-hmm. said, that, that, could be, that could be super cool. When do we start? Um, so we did that two and a half years ago. And the rest, they say, is history. We'll come back to Twill. Yeah. Um, we just need to contextualize the, the topic that we're talking here about today, experience design. It's perhaps a buzzword, perhaps not so much a buzzword in the real technology sense, but it definitely contextualizes technology in, in how people engage with it. I'd go so far as to say it's a bit subjective. Um, so from that perspective, what is experience designed to you? So for me, it's a very holistic uh, concept. Um, experience design is what you get when you walk into a restaurant uh, in terms of the setting, the lighting, the mood, the waiters, the food, and the company. Even and when, you, when you leave that restaurant, you have a... You have a a feeling about an experience, and that has been designed, that experience. It's the same if you go to Disneyland, it's the same if you're going to a web shop. Um, so it's the full journey from your first starting to thinking about actually an experience until you experience it, and also when you think back on it. For me, that that is that experience design. Great. Would, would it be fair to say that it's, as a conceptual idea, something that people spend a lot of time thinking about you use the example of disney for instance and it's well documented that disney really thinks about every touch point Mm. through their customer's journey from as you say the first time they even think about attending one of their theme parks for instance Mm. through to when you're there and when you leave do you think businesses in general put that much thought into it or is it something that's sort of emerging and and it's a sort of a new concept I think it varies very much from industry to industry. Uh, there's industries who that just depend on it, such as, as Disney. This is what they sell, basically, the selling experience. And then there are companies, uh, well, industries where it's not a big thing. Um, and to be very honest, if you're looking at logistics industry, experience design um, is not something that is a big theme here. But it's becoming. It's becoming a big theme. Can you... Tell us a bit more about how Twill actually came to be uh, and some of the the early phase stuff that you went through to get Twill uh, out of the idea phase and into the, uh, let's call it startup phase. Yeah, so so the way I normally talk about it, this is, is a story of, of, I would say, opportunity and, and courage and humbleness. I think that's the three things I put into it. Um, so perhaps so we saw a need uh, for, for, for doing something new in this industry here we saw it from what the customers were telling us uh, we saw it from what we saw other places in the industry in terms of people investing into the industry but we also saw a very internal need in, in, in Damco where, where, where we struggled to really service the small customers giving them a really good experience and actually also honestly struggling having a good business on small customers so there, there, was, a, there was a big need there 
So, um, so that was more the opportunity part. And then the courage part, I think, uh, from from a merge perspective, um, is a lot of courage that takes into saying, you know, let's do something new. Let's let's instead of just think we can set up a project uh, in the corner of the office and make you know our usual people just to solve it. Let's do something new. Let's get in a partner in and let's get some few talented people from our own organization, marry it up and think about how do we how do we create a, a experience around how it is to do logistics as a small customer. Mm-hmm. And that also link, links to the humbleness pack. But that's also from a merge perspective saying we don't know how to do it. Uh, we need to think new to get this done. We need to. Um, we need to think ahead, um, and then therefore we're going to spin something new up. So how we started was basically, in the beginning, you know, the, when I said, when I was asked to do this, I was told, that, do you, you want to run this virtual freight for water called Dolphin? Um, I had four slides, and, and, and we had absolutely no idea what it was. No idea. Okay. Um, so I said, yeah, so, sounds cool. Uh, let, let's, let's definitely do it, uh, because it sounds like an opportunity. But uh, the first thing we did was, so to figure out what this... Uh, virtual freight forwarder was as we called it back then we traveled the world and spoke to a lot of different customers and really these in-depth even ethnographic interviews where you're really trying to understand the customer sitting in front of you rather than asking thousands of customers um, and that was an eye-opener uh, first of all it it it, uh, it gave us a fantastic starting point for what are the pain points we really need to serve for to make this a great experience for the customer secondly it gave us you know the, the taste for what it means to involve your customer in the journey. Um, so basically, this has become our our way of working ever since. That every time we have an idea or, or we get input or something like that, we test it with customers. So um, so based on that, we basically spent six weeks. We didn't we didn't even so we knew that this is going to be software. This technology is going to drive this. Yeah. And the only people we didn't bring in was people who knew something about technology, because we didn't want to. I'm going to say, they're going to hate me for saying this, but we didn't <laughs> want to point, poison it with, with technology thinking, right? I think we find a, a, a fantastic boundary. So for me, this, this is this is anchored in your product organization. And I believe you have a really strong product organization. So it's about technology for me is, is, uh, is the brains who think how we solve the problem. Um, but product is the one that depicts and, and describes the problem. Um, so therefore, our technology team, uh, they're fantastic at, at solving problems, use technology. But the real, the real insights and what we need to build, what problems to solve, we get from the product organization. I decided to challenge this very idea that when instilling experience design into your product or service and putting the customer first, that you're going to benefit from leaving the developers out of that conversation initially. I posed the same question to our XD design developer from Inform. Before we tuck into that question, of course, we need to do a quick intro. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself for me? Yes, sure. Um, I'm a software developer and user um, experience designer in the workforce department, workforce management department at Inform. Um, I started 10 years ago as a user interface developer, but because it was a completely new product, a completely new user interface, the um, user experience design aspect was there from day one. And over the years, um, I've been involved in different projects here, uh, all with the user experience aspect, and it has become a major interest in my expertise. You, um, you're talking about today's buzzword, which is experience design, uh, and you're also touching around one of the peripheral sort of elements of that of user experience. We're going to come back to that. Just so that we're working from the same page, how do you define the term experience design? 
I take that term quite literally. So for me, it's about shaping um, any experience a person will have with a certain product. And that's, that's far more than just the usability, how helpful that product may be, but it's really about everything, how it looks, how it feels. Is it exciting? A product with great user experience should, have, should be fun, even if it's a business application. This is something, the, the, particularly the software industry, has been more aware of than 20 years ago. And that's great because um, if one imagines how much frustration a software using can have, um, how much impact that would have on someone's life who is using software for work for hours a day. Absolutely. That really makes a difference. I sat with a chap who was talking about um, experience design as well, and he was talking about the idea that when they start an initiative, they purposefully box out the developing, uh, the developers from the conversations they're having with the customers um, and the core sort of product team, and they do it purposefully to make sure that they're not focusing on the restraints or the constrictions of what the system's capable of doing, um, such that they can have that sort of unfettered view. Mm -hmm. Do you guys take a similar approach, or do you think there's perhaps benefit in that, or to the contrary point, is that sort of a naive approach? It's not naive. Um... I think there are a lot of situations where this really helps. But I wouldn't say it's really um, a dogma someone must follow. Um, for the design part, particularly when it's even a new client or really big new features, it's really important to focus just on designing the optimal result. It doesn't matter in the design phase if it's, if it's feasible, if there are problems during the implementation. It just should be optimized for the user, all ideas that are somewhat helpful should be on the table. This will be sorted out when um, discussing the result of the design phase with the development team. If some, something can't be implemented, then compromises must be found. But they are starting from the optimal result. So that's a good idea. On the other hand, um, one shouldn't sell the developers sort, uh, short. They are users as well. They have seen a lot of particular complex software and sometimes they have some insights not in how their project works but and um, how things are generally done and they um, sometimes really good ideas for for um, design topics come from the developers as well um, and when we're developing a product that might sit with a company for 5 10 15 20 years is there an art to creating something that has a sort of timeless experience to it or do you embrace trends and then sort of update the software in five years when, you know, the blinking Hamsterdam's websites of the mid-90s aren't in fa fashion anymore? Um, it's a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because these trends and the interest people take in that, they lead to great um, developments in guidelines and to studies what, what people um, what appeals to people, what, what time they spend searching on the screen for some information and all that kind of stuff. That's great. It's, it's an ongoing process. It's a little bit of a curse for um, bigger business application, which will live for years and years, because redesigning 
complete application takes some time. Mm -hmm. And normally there are more valuable features to do than just that. So it will always be a little bit um, after the time. Well, crucial to everything is to understand the customer situation, of course. Um, the data and the rules in the system must represent the end user's reality, otherwise you won't be able to understand it. He will be flooded with information he doesn't need. And um, he will end up working around the system, not being supported by it. So one big part is really restricting the system to the scenario of the customer. And the other part is, well, putting a user interface which is intuitive and smart on top of a system where you can't really make assumptions about how the data and the rules will look like in the end. That's a challenge. Mm. And um, for each for each feature you have to design, you have to figure out, is there something that is roughly the same for all customers? The details may vary, but if it's working roughly the same, you can optimize user interface for that. You can make it really well designed. And you have to identify the situations where things must be flexible, even in the user interface. For example, the things that need to be planned, shifts, sometimes there are workplaces or even car sharing. These things differ from customer to customer. So there the task is to make the compromise between um, having optimizing the user interface, making it really intuitive and keeping the flexibility so that um, the user interface doesn't need to be redeveloped every time a new requirement comes. You, you've touched on a lot of points there. The flow on question is when you are taking all these considerations um, into account, is it more costly in terms of time and money, one or the other or both? Um, or is it more difficult to build a software solution that focuses on experience design in this manner? Um, I wouldn't say that it's more costly. I think developing a software solution like that, with that flexible approach, just has, um, it will spend different, it will spend money, time and effort on different things. In my experience, the investment phase until you get to a first valuable version is longer. That's because this flexible core is quite demanding in requirements, and that's the hard part. It's really not easy to do something like that. Mm. The user interface is a challenge as well. Mm. But if you, have, if you are past that investment phase, it can pay off really, really quick. Do you think that this investment in the flexible core is what perhaps is pro prohibitive or preventing enterprise software in general from ticking down this road? It might be discouraging. Um, and one has to keep in mind that there are not many solutions out there like that where one can learn from. I remember when we started, a lot of effort was spent on researching scientific approaches and breaking new grounds with the development. So um, it's taking a risk, risks that are not that much, that good known. Um, as another solution that, that might be discouraging as well. Yes. I want to go down a small rabbit hole, um, so to speak. Do you guys develop in a traditional waterfall development approach or are you working in a more agile manner? It's agile. 
do you think that that contributes to the overall success of being able to develop um, a customer-centric or a user-centric experience? It does. It certainly does. Because um, beside the actual design part of creating the user interface or developing new features, what is most important is feedback and improving. If, um, well, part of this whole process is gaining an insight into the end user's reality. So really understanding his needs to, to make sure that the features that are developed are valuable, are important, or not, not just some nice things that the developer thought was fancy. When you consider the aims of experience design, it makes sense that the development methodology has to be agile. This too was reflected in the conversation I was having with trolls. I should note for our listeners that, that I'm sitting with the CEO and he's in a jumper, like a, a hoodie jumper. Uh, and in fact, when I first saw him present, he presented in a t-shirt sitting next to senior people who were all in suits, ties, the whole kit and caboodle. So it doesn't surprise me at all that he's got a team called the Rock and Rollers. <laughs> We got ninjas as well. Um, I can uh, what do the ninjas do? The ninjas are customer care ninjas. They need to be stealth. They need to make sure that the customer doesn't even know they're going to get helped. Um, and they just service them. That's our customer care ninjas. Okay. <laughs> you mentioned that you've got a team of people that are embedded or working within your customer base and, and still engaging with your potential customer base. Yeah. How does that work? And how do they sort of feedback new features or changes into the broader software product and how are those actualized? Um, so ideas can come from anywhere in the, in the organization, even from external organizations, from, from customers directly that are, um, it come from data, watching uh, customer behavior. Um, and what you need, they need to do, you need to describe your idea, uh, which we have a format for, and then we have ceremonies where we assess these ideas we, on, a, on a canvas. And you have to assess them based on what it is we're trying to do for our customers. When when you assess is this a good idea or not, then you have to be able to argue and with with with, with anecdotes and with data why this specific idea is going to help that. And you have to be able to do that very early in the process so we can reject it quickly if it doesn't add value. Because if you do that, the funnel gets 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 narrow, and that means you get the cool things through. And everybody can come up with an idea. Mm -hmm. So it comes from all kinds of places. Uh, so we have a process now for how often we talk to customers. We have sales guys with customers every day. They have a process for how they feed that information back. You have our customer care ninjas who speak to customers every day. We have a process for how they feed that information back. Uh, we have a marketing structure. We see who reacts to what. So especially funneling all that information into this process. Mm -hmm. So it's not one person who's responsible for coming with ideas. It's the organization. But then we use the product organization to to assess those ideas. How do you blend digital experience design ah. with traditional customer service, or you've even referred to that as, as experience design, yeah. for instance, with your restaurant example. Mm. How do you bridge the gap between the human element of what you do and the ones and zeros? So I have to be completely honest, that, that is not an easy task, um, because that, that is really where I, you, have to, you have to make sure that your people so in, let's say a simple example, a salesperson and a customer care ninja. Mm -hmm. They have to exhibit exactly the same behavior and, and, and give the same experience as you would get from interacting directly with the platform. So it's, it's likely that a customer will interact both with a, with, with a salesperson, with a customer care person, and directly with the platform. You need to make sure that those three are the same. 
While Ruth didn't have a hoodie on, she was just as casually dressed as trolls, and perhaps it's another subtle takeaway behind the mindsets of those who embrace experience design. Or maybe it was just Casual Friday. But it was on the topic of clothes that Ruth lent a great analogy for thinking about experience design and why it matters. And it is also where we're going to leave you today. We've discussed a lot of the benefits from streamlining a user interface to consider the end users and have a user-centric focus. Given that there are such benefits, what do you think is the primary um, driver for a company to undergo that process? Well, I would like to give a little analogy here. Please. I like to compare it with the difference between wearing a tailored suit and getting the last one off shelf when all the dressing rooms are closed, the jacket is too small, the pants are too big. When you purchase this, you don't know if it will work. It might, you don't know. But when you're attending the event you bought it for, instead of enjoying the event, you will stop, spend all your time worrying about dropping your pants on the dance floor. <laughs> it doesn't fit. It's uncomfortable. And you rather never wear it again. So... Um, when, when streamlining in user face, that means making sure that the user is helped. And for example, when you, um, when you consider data, the most important data must be clearly visible when the user is needing them, and only then. Otherwise, he would be flooded with data battling for his attention, and um, he would desperately search for a way to get rid of that useless clutter because he spends all this time, he loses time sorting through it. Yeah. Or when um, when the user is constantly confronted with features he may never need. <laughs> it's my, It makes it much harder to understand how the software works. Not how the software works, but how the user can work with it. Finally, um, experience design. Buzzword or action item? Definitely an action item. It makes a difference and good user experience is expected nowadays. The times where only functionality matters are over. For example... Users are, people are used to just trying apps out on the mobile phones. And if it doesn't match their experience, uh, their um, expectations, um, if it's disappointing or too complicated, they just drop it and switch to an alternative. So in my opinion, um, good user experience is not a bonus anymore. It's a matter of course. As always, you can find links to many of the resources we used in preparing for this episode on the Buzz IT Talk website, as well as contact details for our guests. Buzz IT Talk was brought to you by Inform. It's produced by Kai Kepner, Louisa Holendi, and myself, Matthew Whitmire. Our post-production is done by the talented Jenny Neustris, with special help from Sabina Volter and Thomas Bergmans. Learn more about Buzz IT Talk at buzzittalk.com, or follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. You can subscribe for regular podcast updates at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matthew Whitmire. Thanks for listening.